This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Last Friday without a Denver Broncos game coming around the corner, by the way, for a while. The Broncos will be back in action on the field, the actual field, in a preseason contest against Arizona next week, week from today, as a matter of fact. Joining us now to talk about that and, of course, what's happening up in Boulder, and there's a lot happening up in Boulder, is our friend from CBS News Colorado, Justin Adams, Justin Adams TV on Twitter. And uh, Justin's been uh, – th- thanks for uh, – at least staying up. I will say you're staying up to join me because, uh, you know, you've been hosting, you've been anchoring CBS News uh, all week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said your your wake-up call is 2.15 in the morning? Yes, 2.15 in the morning. Um, and depending on how my one-year-old baby girl is doing, by the way, she is so beautiful. Um, it could be 1.30 in the morning if she is uh, not getting her rest. So, it's early to say the least, man. But you know, I'm not going to miss this. I will never miss an opportunity to jump on the radio with you, Sean. Well, you know I mean, that. I can also help you with the wake up calls because half the time I'm not I'm not in bed by two fifteen. I'm right. definitely not in bed by one thirty. So I can just right. give you a call before I go to sleep and wake you up if you need. Just let me know. <laughs> you, you can just be my alarm clock. That'll yeah, be perfect. yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> go ahead and solve that for you. We're overlapping. So thanks so much. But yeah. uh, I, but it, it it was interesting out of Broncos camp today. Uh, the one thing that appears to continue. Uh, even on the seven-on-sevens, and we know that seven-on-sevens uh, don't really truly represent football, but the connection between Greg Dulcich and Russell Wilson seems to be the most consistent one thus far in camp, even more than Jerry Judy, who had a great connection with him in the final six games of the regular season. But uh, Dulcich and Wilson continue to have success when that connection is being offered. It gets better as they go, as to be expected. But when you look at this Denver Broncos team, knowing that Sean Payton brought in Chris Manhurts, a player who he's liked for a while and wanted to bring, uh, definitely wanted, even though he's bounced around, he brings in Adam Troutman. Uh, he's going for heavy sets and has made that very clear. But there is definitely room, if you look at Sean Payton's offense, for a receiving tight end. He's always had one. Uh, is Dulcich maybe the guy on this offense that we should take a peek at to break out? Dulcich and Albert O are two guys that you can really look at and two guys, honestly, who aren't really that good of blockers. But that's okay because you lost Tim Patrick for the year, so you need that other receiving threat in your offense. So you may see a lot of what I like to say ace formation, which is two tight ends, because you're going to be forced to run the football or you can just have your tight ends split out a little bit. But you're going to need to have guys like Albert O, uh, Greg Dulcich, to be able to go and get the rock because when you lost Tim Patrick, you lost that guy in the slot that was sure-handed, very tall, very big, possession-wide receiver. Now you have to replace that with the tight end. So it's very important that guys like Dulcich, that guys like Albert O, they definitely go and step up in the uh, in training camp but also during the season. Uh, the difference, at least, between the two guys thus far, Dulcich seems to have a little more ability. Uh, we know he's only a second-year guy, but seems to have uh, more skill in running multiple different routes than Okarabinam. Right. And also we've seen uh, Alberto for a little while, and the blocking seems to still not really go anywhere. Dulcich is at least a willing blocker. He has been since right. his rookie year and seems to be even more so. I would say that, plus, of course, you know, the draft situation does matter a little bit, but he seems to have really rocketed himself past it. We talk about them as if they're sort of peas in a pod, but they're really not. There's Dulcich and there's Okwebenam trying to be the fourth tight end on this team, right? 
Yeah, you know what's interesting, Dulcich, the way that he really started off this year, it kind of reminded you what happened last year, right? I mean, he immediately got mm-hmm. on the field after his hamstring was healed up, and he made plays right out the gate, had a touchdown against the Chargers, was making plays all over the place. So this isn't really a surprise, but here's the one thing, Sean, that everybody has to remember. The easiest pass to complete is to your tight end. That's the guy who's closest to you either off the line or generally he's on the line, right? So that's the easiest guy to be able to complete a pass to. So to see Russ be able to connect with Greg Dulcich is great. I just wish we could say the same about him connecting with Jerry Judy coming out of training camp. That's really what I want to hear about. Yeah, and and the truth is that has been a work in progress. Now, it doesn't uh, help that one Pat Sertan is uh, on him, you know, like a blanket the majority of the time on one-on-ones. And we we saw that again uh, today. But yeah, that is one of the things I think that's uh, something of a concern is the, the lack of connection with Judy and, and to even a certain extent Sutton. But when you get into seven on sevens and you've done a bunch of them for Broncos fans that may be out there at practice like like they were today uh, watching them, the idea that maybe uh, when you when you look at it, that the defense is way ahead of the offense. At the same time, when you have guys like Pat Sertan and Justin Simmons, top three players at their positions at worst in the league, it can make the offense maybe look a little worse than they otherwise are because you won't be facing that type of guy with regularity, right? Right, it does. But, you know, I'm reminded a little bit about Peyton Manning, too. And I remember when Peyton was around with the Broncos, there are times where the defenders, and we know how great that defense was, they would say, man, he's just throwing those Peyton balls. Like, you could be right on the man, you could be right on the football, and you'll miss it by an eyelash all the time right. and it will get to the receiver. We're not hearing a lot about that with Russell Wilson. I mean, at some point, you get it, right? You have really good defenders with Pat Sertain and obviously with Justin Simmons and the rest of the guys in the secondary. But at some point, it has to start to be, but this is Russell Wilson. This is what he does. This is what he brings to the offense. That has to start to flip a little bit. It doesn't matter really anymore about, okay, these guys are the best in the business. you got to be the best in the business, too, because if you're going to get to the playoffs to get to where you want to be, then your quarterback better be a top-ten quarterback. Or you just wasted half a million or half a billion dollars, honestly, in that big old contract. Right. When you look at, at Russell Wilson, I took a look back at Russell Wilson's six previous seasons before uh, joining the Denver Broncos. And when you take a look at the way that he had the distribution to the tight end, uh, it was always actually a big part of his game, even despite the fact he had, uh, you know, DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett in the last few years. But it, it was whether it was Gerald Everett or uh, Jacob Hollister, still guys and that, still guys that they managed to squeeze in. Don't mention uh, Will Disley to Denver Broncos fans. I think they remember him as well. But, I mean, the, the Nick Vanettes of the world, they, he still found a way to get it done. It wasn't the focus, but when you went back and he had uh, Jimmy Graham, for example, Jimmy Graham was either first or second in targets on the team uh, for the previous three years that he was on before they got in before Graham moved uh, on in his career. So it's not as if Russell Wilson has avoided throwing the, the tight end in his career. It's just he hasn't had a, a sort of a regular guy. They've continually sort of uh, flipped between players trying to find a solution in those last few years in Seattle. So at least in Wilson's case, this isn't actually foreign hitting the tight end, even though it seems like it the way that Wilson approached last year. And that's another reason why it really hurts to have Tim Patrick gone. Think about this. Six foot four, big receiver, great hands, able to make things happen over the middle, and he's a possession wide receiver. Who does that sound like? It sounds like throwing it to a tight end, except rather than somebody being 215 pounds, he's now 250 pounds or 45 pounds. So hopefully the Broncos can get a little more creative with their offense, even though they won't have Tim Patrick for the rest of the year. I would like to see Cortland Sutton run some plays out of the slot. Like, do something to be able to help out your quarterback because clearly 
as we are seeing, he likes to throw to bigger receivers. So go and give him some help by going and put, you know, Corlin Sutton somewhere in the slot, move him around a little bit, and maybe that will be able to help get the ball to, Cor- uh, to uh, Jerry Judy as well because if you have guys worried about the Cortland Suttons of the world and the Greg Dulcich of the world, then I would love to see a one-on-one matchup on the outside with Jerry Judy, and I'll take my money with Jerry Judy every time. Yeah, obviously that's going to be a, a, a part of the equation because Tim Patrick, and it's easy to forget, I think, for people who don't remember him at Utah, and I understand that, but uh, Tim Patrick played in, in the slot a lot of times. He played that big slot role, mm-hmm. and uh, the truth is the Broncos were eyeing him, not Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, who once he moved to the outside, he and Wilson finally got it going. It was the idea that Tim Patrick would play the big slot role, that big target over the middle that Russell Wilson can see better. Remember, Wilson's kind of short and sure-handed, and Patrick's not the guy that does a lot after the catch. So you did lose that. That is an opportunity for Dulcich. It's also an opportunity, it appears, that a fellow undrafted uh, wide receiver, big guy, good hands, uh, Brandon Johnson's going to get the first crack at it, and he has immediately stepped up and actually been a reasonable facsimile. Uh, that's a pretty good sign for the Broncos, too, who believe they have depth there. And even though, it, again, we've, we're talking about potential over production, Johnson this week looked more or less ready to go. And we'll all see what happens once the games really start, right? And this is why it's so important for us to be able to play at least one series against the Cardinals. I get it, right? You don't want to get your quarterback injured, but you do want to see what you got because you still have more than enough time that if your wide receivers, like Johnson, for example, don't work out during the games, then guess what? You go and pick up somebody. You go and find somebody in the free agency and say, hey, can this guy step in and give us a couple of reps, right? That's what you have to do. So it's important to be able to have Russ out there going um, uh, playing in at least two preseason games and just seeing what the rest of the guys can do with the number one offense out there. We're talking with Justin Adams of CBS News Colorado. Justin Adams TV is the Twitter handle. And, Justin, we uh, he said all the right things. Russell Wilson seems to be on board. But the truth of the matter is it appears that, that Sean Payton, even before the injury to Tim Patrick, was more than willing to look at heavy sets. Uh, he's going to have a fullback. They grabbed uh, a player in, in Michael Burton off of Kansas City. They're going to have a fullback. He always has. Uh, he may even use two-back sets. Samaje Pirine is an excellent pass protector, an excellent pass catcher, and on third downs for a very competitive Cincinnati Bengals team, he was on the field more than Joe Mixon. This may be another way to get things done. You can line up heavy set two-backs, and it doesn't mean you're not necessarily passing. No, and you know, here's the other thing, too. You could also run screens out of that. Mm-hmm. How many times have we saw Samaje Pirine get the ball in Cincinnati off of a screen and take it to the house. Yeah. Like he did that several or, or times. Or at least 8 to 10 yards uh, make that kind of difference. Absolutely. You don't think the Broncos offense could use that? A team that scored, what, 16 points a game last year? You don't think they could use that? And a small plays like that that would allow your offense to stay on the field, help your defense be able to get some extra rest, and oh, by the way, you might be able to flip the field. And when I say flip the field, you're able to have a team, now if you punt the ball away, that they're not going 50 yards in order to get a touchdown. They now have to go 80, 85 yards in order to get to the end zone. And over the course of a game, those type of things add up. So to be able to have a player on the field that could be able to, yes, pass block, but to also catch the football out the backfield as well is just going to pay dividends to the Broncos. When you look at Russell Wilson's numbers last year uh, via pro football focus and you look at passes that were behind the line of scrimmage, those screen passes like you're talking about, that was actually Wilson's second highest rated skill behind the deep ball. But when you actually look at the performance for the Broncos, they had seven touchdowns on balls that traveled uh, more than 20 yards in the air. But they also had three interceptions and the completion rate was only 39.7%. 
You expect the completion percentage to be higher, of course, on shorter passes, but it was 93.5%, 72 for 77, and had three touchdowns and only one interception. The truth is, actually, for Russell Wilson's uh, performance last year, those dump-offs and screen passes were some of the best performers in an otherwise bad year. Yeah, he did a lot of things that was wrong, but those are the things that he did right. But honestly, what does it matter if your team's not getting first down? What does it matter if your team's not really moving the ball down the field? I mean, how many times did we look at the offense last year and just hope and pray they would get a first down? I mean, it was so boring watching that offense mm-hmm. and looking around and saying, is this team going to do anything? I mean, they were one of the teams that had one of the lowest time of possessions in the NFL last year. That's one thing that I believe is really overlooked with this squad. We yep. can look at the points. We can look at oh, the it's yards. It's a direct connection stuff. to points. You're exactly right. And you know that as well as I do. You know, it, the team that wins time of possession – by and large, wins football games. That's college or pro. Because you won, you get to control the clock and the pace. And I made this argument yesterday. The idea if you're playing against, you want to beat the Chiefs, uh, you can't expect your defense to hold up against uh, 11 or 12 Kansas City drives. You have to limit the number of drives because their offense to a certain per- percent is, is unstoppable. You have to limit the drives. And to do that, you have to have long drives of your own. And, Sean, here's another thing, too. I know we can look at that short to intermediate category and say, wow, Look how great it is. But when were those passes completed? Was it on third down and long? Because last year we saw a lot of third down and long, right? So if they were completed on third down and longs, for example, right, third down and seven, and you're throwing a five-yard pass, (laughs) it's fourth down and two, and you're putting the ball away, right? So you have to be able to kind of, you know, kind of average that out a little bit and say, okay, what is this offense doing? Are they throwing past the sticks? Are they throwing behind the sticks? Are they doing things to really get – Russ outside, open, have him use his legs to be able to throw the football. Those are the things that the team has to do this year. Look, Russ has lost weight. And let's call it what it is last year. He was overweight, out of shape, and in many respects full of himself. And that's okay to admit that because when you come in a role where you're the quote-unquote savior, savior of a franchise that hasn't been to the playoffs at the time in six years, well, it's bound to happen that way. So now, look, his back's against the wall now, too. Yeah, you signed this big deal. But this is, this is the year where you have to go and step up or the Broncos will go and make some different decisions. So for him, it's all about going and saying, look, if we're running the ball, let's go and run the football. But off that play-action pass, let's make things happen, especially with the boot-action pass. Worth noting, by the way, play-action passing, the best passing uh, concept for Russell Wilson via pro football mm-hmm. focus last year. So uh, more reason to believe that a good run game is the quarterback's best friend. Uh, the, the, the point you make with Wilson I think is interesting because we heard Sean Payton say that his playoffs are bust. I love looking at that. People say that because I always go, or what? And but Sean Payton will be around next year, whether they make the playoffs or not. Russell Wilson might not. It's playoffs or bust for him, or at least awfully close to it, right? We've seen guys like Cam Newton. I mean, you go down the line of quarterbacks who came into a team or had a great situation where a couple of years ago they were on the top of the world. And now you look at them now and either they're out of the league or they're trying to find a backup position. I mean, we saw one guy like that in Joe Flacco, didn't we? Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity for us where, look, you had your mulligan last year. And we all looked and said, okay, it was on Nathaniel Hackett, right? Even the head coach, right? Sean Payton said it's Nathaniel Hackett. He absolved him. He he absolved him. But you know what? You don't have that grace this time around. And if you look at the schedule, you should be able to get off to a fast start. Two games at home, you're taking on – um, the Raiders, and then you have the Commanders at home. Then you go on the road to play a Dolphins team that is pretty good, but guess what? Jalen Ramsey, their number one cornerback is out, so that's another game that you should be able to at least fare well in, and then you come back home. And so those four games, 
you should be able to do something on offense. And I tell you what, Sean, you and I both know this. If we get to the Kansas City games and the Broncos are below 500 or they're teetering on a point where maybe they have five losses going on loss number six, I can see some changes being made. Hey, we're talking to Justin Adams. Justin, we're, we're coming up on a, on a break so we can talk football all day. But, I mean, I feel like if I'm going to let you go and not talk about the buffs, given all the, the madness in college football, that's, that's something I can't do. Can you hang on for a couple minutes and we can talk about it when we get back? Let's do it. Let's have the fun. All right. Well, we'll do that. Justin Adams uh, from CBS News Colorado. Justin Adams TV on Twitter will join us uh, when we get back in just a couple moments on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I'm on that beautiful practice field with the uh, beautiful grass and uh, it's manicured, and I'm looking at mountains. Man, you got to be kidding me. This ain't no darn job. This is a blessing to be out here amongst these kids and leading them in the right direction and posing as their navigational system. It's a blessing to me, and I take it seriously. That is, of course, Deion Sanders, the head coach of the University of Colorado Buffaloes, uh, Justin Adams, Justin Adams TV on Twitter from CBS News Colorado, uh, stuck with us. Thank you, Justin. But uh, uh, hearing that, got to warm your heart a little bit. But but let's go with what's happened literally just today uh, mm-hmm. in the fallout from Colorado's move, which shook everything loose. Uh, the Pac-12 in the next 48 hours is likely to be the Pac-4. I'm yep. not joking. Oregon and Washington are headed to the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about it earlier in the program with Anilo Piro. Oregon wanted a full share. They didn't get one because the Big uh, the Big Ten was basically saying, or what, as we talked about. <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, you want to, you know, what's the plan? So they jump in. Oregon and Washington do not get a full share from the Big Ten. Uh, Arizona, that is going to be announced as soon as tonight. We knew that was going to likely happen as soon as CU jumped. Arizona made the most sense. And now uh, Arizona State and Utah have formally petitioned to join the Big 12. And the vote will be held as soon as tonight. Arizona probably makes their announcement tonight because, you know, you'd like to get ahead of your in-state rival and you could say you were in there first while the other vote happens. But, I mean, by this time tomorrow, uh, there may be four teams left in the pack. 12 and we don't know about how we'll work with arizona presumably arizona would get a full share like colorado because it keeps it in an even number but if you get uh arizona state and utah in now the big 12 becomes the big 16 matching the sec 16 and the big 10 goes to 18 if you can keep all of that straight but the point of it was colorado instead of waiting and reacting did something they usually don't do they reacted. They made the they used their initiative to do what was better for the university, and they actually, out of all these teams bailing out of the Pac-12, look as if they've done the best job of doing so. Uh, let me tell you this, Sean. This is what makes it more interesting than anything else. What if I told you that the University of Colorado is going to get a big share in the Big 12 than Oregon is going to get in the Big 10? Yep. Would you believe me? I would not, and in the first year of the deal, that's what's going to happen going to be crazy and you know what that just shows why it's so important to you know go and make the move as soon as you you can and 
just taking the initiative was guys like Rick George, uh, Phil DeStefano. What was the last time we could say good things about those two guys? I mean, Rick George, he's my man. But Phil DeStefano, we're working on it. But those guys were able to go and say we need to step up and make things happen. This all started back in December. Once you hired Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, immediately, immediately, your brand went up. And because your brand went up, you were able to go and be one of the first guys to say, hey, we're leaving the Pac-12, and now we're going to get a full share in the Big 12. And I get it, right? Washington, Oregon, they're going to the Big 10. In the end, that'll be a good move for them, right? But as of right now, what's happening with Colorado, it's just great for them. You get the money, you get a better opportunity, you get stability at least for the next five years, and you also put yourself in position to maybe you yourself go to the Big Ten down the road. So it's nothing but great things to see going on in Boulder. It really is. Obviously, it's a terrific situation uh, in Boulder now. They find themselves kind of in the catbird seat, and everybody else is playing catch-up. They have to go on their win games, and in less than a month, they will be taking on TCU. I think that there is some reality has started to set in. The expectations that CU is immediately going to be a national contender this year probably have finally worn off. But are there concerns? And right now, I get it. It's all blue skies. But are there concerns that if the Buffs don't get off to a great start, if they finish with uh, four or five wins, that people will look at this and even that Deion Sanders will look at it and say, oh, see, this is a bit of a disaster. Or do you think they understand the effort that they're undertaking? This was the worst Power 5 football program in the country last year. Uh, Sean, let me put it this way. CU scored 15 points a game last year. Colorado yeah. State, they scored 13 points a game last year. Both were five away from being the worst in that category in college football. Yeah. College football, okay? And how many so games did look, the Buffs lose by 20-plus? Man, they lost, not 20-plus, how about 30-plus? They lost seven games. Seven games by that amount. Oh, and by the way, the one game that they did won, if, they were, if it wasn't for Trevor Woods hitting a tight end for Cal in the end zone in overtime, that would have been another loss. So you look at that and say, wow, this team was that close to being an offer, like an eyelash away from having zero wins last season. So to go from that and to go and be a team now in the Big 12 to now being featured nationally on the first two games um, on Big Fox is really huge for this team. But let's not lose what's happening uh, right now in all this conference realignment, okay? A lot of different rivalries. They are being torn up. But it is great to see Utah, the corner schools, they're going to be in the Big 12. And I tell you what, Sean, to be honest with you, football is going to be one thing. Tap Boyle, he got some work to too. That's the I best basketball got, conference in the country. It was last year. Yeah, but you know now what? You're adding this? We have Houston was a number one team, right? Yeah. You have Kansas in that. You have Texas Tech. Shall I go it's on, hard. right? You have all these teams over there, right? Um, for a guy like Tad Boyle, and I hope that we don't miss this, he really has to go and get his uh, recruited up. I mean, you got to see more five stars, four stars, guys being able to band together and be able to win in those conferences because it's going to be very, very tough to be able to do so in the big. Yeah, three that of the, look, it was three of the ahead, top 150 uh, this off this this last recruiting cycle, three of the top 150, including Cody Williams, and uh, that may be a one and done, but hopefully that's the beginning of something bigger. I feel like last year, I, maybe I missed my chance, Justin, because I mean, I had, I had eligibility left, and I feel like I could have <laughs> helped the Buffs lose by 30. Uh, right. I think I could have done that. Yeah, I, I could have assisted. Could've. Yeah, I could have found a way to do that. But they, they are moving in the right direction. And uh, Deion Sanders, uh, not only excited, but a little defiant, um, yeah. doing what he does today, kind of pointing out after Dan Lanning had uh, kind of 
uh, made fun of Colorado on the way out saying, you know, oh, they're leaving. So what? You know, what did they win? And of course, Oregon a, a week later ends up bailing out. And Dion uh, had an opportunity to point that out as well. Uh, that sort of defiance that that works great when you're when you're winning or when you're moving in the right direction. But it, it can obviously rub people wrong when you're losing. The question is right now, is it the right attitude to take at this stage this close to the season? Yeah, because um, let's be honest with you. Uh, in four weeks, it's, it's really it's for real, right? It's for mm-hmm. real. So you have that much of grace. And they're a 20-plus point underdog to, to TCU. Hey, you have that great spirit to say whatever you want. Everybody has something to say and everybody has a plan until you get hit in the mouth. And so we'll see what happens with CU because once you go down to Fort Worth, once you go down to Funky Town, <laughs> you better go bring some funk with you, or else you're going to go back with your head hanging and uh, also with a big old L on your chest. So for the bus, this is the biggest thing for them. They just have to be able to go and come together and understand that these first five games are going to be extremely tough games. And I know Colorado State is a game that everybody says, you and I are both bust, they should be able to win. Let me remind you, that is coming off of a week off for the Rams, too. So they're going to be charged up for that game. So if the Bucs could be able to go 2-3, and 3-2 three, three and two out of the first five games, find themselves in a bowl game, it's going to set themselves very, very well in recruiting and also give them a great opportunity in order to go to a bowl game. Going a little bit up the road to Colorado State, which for a while had been trying to get into one of these Power Five conferences, now it appears that the Pac-12, which only has four teams left in it now as we speak, mm-hmm. is is deader than Elvis. It's it's gone. So, I mean, now you're down to four. All of a sudden, I do wonder if Colorado State, with new facilities, with the new energy under Jay Norvell, finds themselves in a better spot. Because when you're talking about Stanford and uh, Oregon State and, and the teams that are left, obviously, you know, Stanford, the biggest name of the bunch, but, uh, you know, Cal and, uh, and Washington State, the other two, the Pac-12 teams can't leave, or uh, can't, Mountain West can't leave for the Pac-12 because of the exit fees. Pac-12 doesn't have a television deal. Should the Mountain West be looking at adding a couple of the Pac-12 teams? Yes. Where else can they go? Yes, immediately. Like, effective immediately go and add some of these teams. Now, there's stories out there that Stanford might be an independent, and we have to remember and they, could. they have a huge, but they have a huge endowment. Yeah. They got money. They don't they have could. money. They got money, money, but if you're money. Oregon State and Washington State, if I'm, if I'm the Mountain West, I'm calling. Yeah. Is, is the WAC still around, by the way? Because uh, in they, in they a manner of speaking, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> they got to find somewhere to go. You know, everybody has reports. Everybody has things out there. Um, there's some people who are saying that even Washington State and Oregon State could go to the Big 12, too, except they will go um, with a very, very uh, lower. Uh, yeah. If Oregon and Washington money. are getting half shares that only escalate a little bit year over year. Right. Uh, yeah, if you're Oregon State, Washington State, I. But Sean, Sean, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's all about money. It's all. I never thought that I would see the day where it's TV stations that are actually what's running college football. It's not the players. It's not the young men who are on the field. It's TV stations that are doing so. But I would like to remind everybody that's listening: when you hear about these NIL deals, or you hear all these dollar signs and these figures that are going out there. I'll put it this way. The, per- the people who are not getting paid, I don't care about NIL, the people who are not getting paid from these big TV deals are the kids that are on the field. And the kids that are on the field, they got to find themselves a way to be able to get themselves a share of what's happening right now because their lives are being dictated by these TV companies. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody wants to be out there to go and help them, but they need to find a way how to get that done because it's too late to say that their employees are not. They're 100% employees, and they should, should 100% get 
get a share of that and take care of the family. Interesting decision, by the way, uh, when, when you if you hadn't got a chance to see it, what they did up at the University of Colorado, practicing inside uh, in the in, uh, practice facility that Deion Sanders was talking about, there weren't names on the back of their players' jerseys. Mm-hmm. There were their social media handles as yeah. the, as the Buffs seemed to try to get ahead of it and say, hey, you know what? Why don't we help you a little bit get some of those deals for yourself? And I thought that was, again, rather forward thinking by what seems to be a completely revitalized and refreshed University of Colorado athletic department, even though it's the same people in charge. Yep. You know, it's something that actually was done at Jackson State mm-hmm. uh, when um, the Jackson State Tigers, when they went to the Celebration Bowl back-to-back years, they actually had that on the back of their practice jerseys, too. And so, you know, even Deion Sanders said today that he wished that they could actually replace their last name with their Twitter, with their Twitter handle or their X handle, whatever it's called these days, which is interesting to say. Look, just the reality is this. If there are no cameras, right, if Coach Prime doesn't have his media guys inside doing videos and showing the names on the back of the jerseys, why would it matter? It all works together, right? It's saying, hey, guys, we're going to build up your profile. Oh, by the way, you're going to build up ours as well because mm-hmm. the only way that you'll be able to see what's going on in practice is by taking a look at our videos. It's just all working together uh, one by one. And so it's a great thing to see. Look, they have something going. And to be honest with you, other teams should follow suit as well. We're talking with Justin Adams of CBS News Colorado. And last one for you, this is my own personal campaign, and maybe Dion doesn't need it, but I, I'm, I'm still <laughs> pushing for it. Uh, you're back in the. You're going to be back in the Big Twelve. Dion wanted to be recruiting in Texas. You're going to be facing off against those teams. Uh, the ensemble, if you will, that he had for the black and gold game, the outfit he had, and wearing the big white Stetson cowboy hat. Uh, I. That's got to be what he coaches games in, right? I mean, make sure. that your Bear Bryant. Like, rock that thing on the sideline every game. Yes, one hundred percent. You got to own that thing. But you also, you know, what else you need to own? You need to own some W's in that. that too. We all know that if you're not uh, winning some games and you're wearing all that, uh, there will be some questions <laughs> that you need to go and answer, right? And so the main thing is this, right? Come out with the swag. Make CU cool again. Make CU fun again. That's what uh, you know Boulder needs in the worst way. That's what this football program needs in the worst way. They need that, right? You need to have that coach that you can be inspired by, a place that you want to go to, a place that as a parent you feel comfortable sending your child to. But at the end of the day, you got to win some games, baby, because if you don't win games, none of this will matter. How excited, the last one for you, I guess, just honestly, how long has it been since you've been this bullish on the Buffaloes football program in the long term? Wow. Um, 2016. I was, I, I'll give you a quick story. So I was still working at KOA at the time, and I was uh, doing the spring game. And so they were struggling, you know, that, you know, beforehand seasons passed, and I just kept hearing about, hey, this team is ready. Look, this team has everything that they need. And at the time, if you remember, Cephalufau, he was coming off of a foot injury. So mm-hmm. we didn't even know if he was going to play. But once he was able to be cleared to go and he looked healthy, this team had a great, great season. I'm not saying that they're going to go 10-2 and two or 10-4 and four or whatever they did that year. But I will say that this team is going to turn a lot of heads this year, and it will be for positive reasons. He is Justin Adams. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Justin Adams TV and catch him on CBS News Colorado, of course, uh, anchoring the whole kit and caboodle. Hopefully uh, not tomorrow and you can get some sleep. <laughs> Hopefully I can, but you know i got a baby girl, so I'll be up wide early in the morning taking care of that lady. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, there's two different kinds of rest, at least, and there's that one, so a little bit different. Best of luck right. this weekend, and always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time and, and the bonus time for that. 
Sean. Always a pleasure, my brother. Be All right. Me. Thanks. Justin Adams joining us. CBS News, Colorado. Of course, make sure you check him out there. He's all over, as Dion himself would say. Uh, Justin, he ain't hard to find. He's there most of the time. So uh, give him a follow as well for all the latest. But uh, we will take a look back at the Denver Broncos. The Broncos a week from their first preseason game. Want to know what your thoughts are? 303-831-1340 is the call and text line. What do you want to see? What are you excited about seeing? What are you nervous about seeing? Let us know. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. The Denver Broncos will be back on practice tomorrow. Six straight practice before they'll be off on Sunday. As always, practice at 10 a.m. You have to have a ticket. Those going, parking lot opens at uh, 8, gates at 9. I I will say as an experience, fewer fans can be there. Now, there were only a couple times every year when they got up to that 6-7,000. And we've gone over why they can't, uh, quite frankly, long story short, it's fire code. That's part of their certificate of occupancy. They can have 3,000 people out there. And I will say that if if you are lucky enough to go, it is the best experience for fans that I've seen in years. They have changed the direction of the fields, so the field is stretching the length of that berm, so you're not having to try to pay attention to uh, two separate fields, one which you couldn't see on either side, so it's a better viewership situation for the, for the fans. The fewer people on that berm gives you a little more mobility if you're bringing little kids, and sometimes kids you know, need to get up, they need to move around, you need to get up and move around. Uh, you can do that now. Not everyone's sort of smashed in there. The The Broncos have had a lot of things to for people to do, whether there's uh, some of their players from the past that have come out and either taking pictures or signing autographs. The cheerleaders have been out there taking pictures. There's uh, you know, a lot of different things that kids can do, some events. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uh, of merch and gear for folks if they want to do that. Obviously, the team store is right next to it. But uh, I think the Broncos have done a really nice job with this. And uh, credit where credit is due. I think for the fan experience, this is the best it has been in a very, very long time. So if you have an opportunity to get out there, I hope you enjoy it. I think it's a, it's a better experience than it's been in a while. So uh, all good there. The challenge, of course, would be getting the tickets. But even the Broncos have done their best for people who might think about returning theirs if they can't make it. Apparently, you can go uh, through their system and and maybe get some in the last minute. So maybe check that out as well. The Broncos' uh, own website will have all the Ticketmaster details on that. But a good work out there. I mean, it's really been good, and I think the fans have responded to it. The fans have been happy. They've enjoyed it. Uh, players still, after practice, uh, as much as they can, come out and take pictures and sign autographs and do all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think it's been a really, really good experience this year for fans. So good. Uh, Good, good work for the Broncos and everyone involved in all of that. I think it's been uh, substantially uh, improved over the last couple seasons, and uh, hopefully you get a chance to, to check it out. But it will be the last day until an off day on Sunday for the Broncos. And there are a couple things to keep in mind. Talked about the tempo. The tempo is, is a lot of it. And... The Broncos have made some mistakes. They made some mistakes today, whether it's you know pre-snap sort of, it would have been penalties, jumped uh, before the, the snap, things like that. That's the kind of stuff that really bothers Peyton. Those little things that, that can cause you to lose games. Uh, th- that gets under his skin a little bit. And he, he works on that. And, and I think the pace in which they're practicing matters. Uh, Marcus Callaway talked about it specifically. He played, of course, 
uh, for Peyton was the leading receiver for the Saints in 2021. Quote, y'all getting to learn Sean and how he operates. Small things to get yourself beat is what irritates him. That's what I've picked up. He tries to instill in us that we're not going to win and beat an opponent if we're beating ourselves. Well, right now they they are a little bit. The two-minute drill starts were challenges, but they will get better. Uh, Peyton said after the practice, it's something we obviously have to improve upon. At some point, you'll pull the player out. But what you're seeing with Peyton as well is a desire to go, 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 and coach it later, which I think is the right approach. They're, they're, they're out there at pace, trying to be crisp, trying to be fast, and go back out there again, and they'll deal with the fact that somebody jumped or they'll deal with the fact that there was some, some sort of pre-snap error. They'll do it after practice, either on the sidelines when you roll off or when they see it in the film, and they'll do it later. The desire clearly from Peyton is not to disrupt the flow of practice, to keep it moving crisp and to keep it effective. That's the plan. And the Broncos had an issue with that last year, of course. League worth 16.9 points a game, near the league lead in pre-snap penalties. And Peyton runs it quite opposite. Now, Drew Brees had a, like Peyton Manning, quick reads, quick releases. So most of the time in New Orleans, the Saints were in the top 10 and half the time top five in relative time to throw. A la Peyton Manning. That ball's not sticking around real long. Take the snap, hit your read, boom, boom, get the ball out. It's also why 13 out of the 15 years, they were seventh or best, seventh or better in sack rate. Drew Brees didn't get hit a lot. That's a good plan. Drew Brees also kind of a smallish quarterback. Of course, we know about the very serious injury he had that almost derailed his career in a game against the Denver Broncos when he was tackled for a safety. Ended up with it being traded to the Saints. And that for Russell Wilson, as I talked about yesterday, and if you missed any of yesterday's where we broke down a lot of Wilson's issues with sacks and why they happen, you can always go to milehighsports.com or the free Mile High Sports app and you can check out any of the shows or any of the parts you've missed. We broke that down yesterday. Wilson is historically bad at avoiding sacks. As in one of the worst three or four quarterbacks of significance in history at avoiding sacks. At least guys that have had some success. And he has to make this adjustment. That, to my mind, is the hardest part of this entire change of offense. Russell Wilson, who likes to hold on to the ball, who likes to go deep, who likes to give his receivers an opportunity to get open. That's no longer the smartest play for him at this point in his career. It's simply not. You have to evolve. You have to adapt. You have to adjust. Things have to go faster. And that's what Sean Payton's offense will do. If Wilson can get on the right page. That's one of the reasons to believe that this offense can get a lot better. The 10 years that Russell Wilson played in Seattle as a starter, Seattle finished 28th or worse in sack rate seven times. Their best finish was 21st. It's 30th in the league last year with 55 sacks. Overlapping that same time over the athletic, they did some of the comparisons here, 
2012 to 2021, they reported that the Saints ranked first in time to throw at 2.3 seconds over that span of time. Seattle, during that span of time, 3.03. Dead last. The number 31 team was the Niners at 2.76. So, Russell Wilson is not going to immediately become Drew Brees. He is not immediately going to be a 2.6 time to throw guy. It's not. It's not how he's ever played. It's not going to just happen. It will take time, and he may never get there. And this is where Peyton and Wilson have to find a way to meet in the middle. One of the things they're trying to do, kind of a cult thing in Denver to you know go look at practice and see if Quinn Miner's belly's hanging out. Quinn Miner's put on more weight. The nickname was already the belly. But look at the size they've built on the line. Ben Powers at 310, Mike McGlinchey at 315. Miners is up to 340. Cushionberry's at 315. We know Garrett Bowles is over 300. This is a Broncos offense that has decided they're going to get bigger. Bigger and stronger. That's designed to limit that interior pressure, knowing that you don't have to really move all that far to stop interior pressure. So the bigger weight, the, the more weight, and the more mass will help you. It also leans itself into the understanding that this team is going to run more than it did before. But the the days of the Broncos, you still think of going back to the Super Bowl years with John Elway and Terrell Davis and company, and think about light, agile lines in Mike Shanahan's and Alex Gibbs' system. That's not what they're running anymore. The Broncos are going to be big and strong. And they're going to start pushing people around. That's the plan. That's good for a guy like Miners. That's what he's built to do. That's good for a guy like Garrett Bowles. That's what he's built to do. Lloyd Cushenberry's weakness as an offensive lineman has to do in, in pass protection. Having enough strength to hold a guy off. If, if you're not doing that, putting him in that kind of position as often, it helps. This offense will look quite a bit different. There are many ways that it can change, but there is no question that the Denver Broncos are getting bigger. They added Adam Troutman. They added Chris Manners. Those are blocking tight ends. Those are extra offensive linemen. They can catch a little bit, but they're out there to block. The majority of their money in the offseason went to two offensive linemen, Powers and McGlinchey. The Broncos know now that the best way to stop the higher-powered offenses in the league, of which they are not one right now, is to limit their time of possession, to limit the number of drives in which they have an opportunity to score on the Broncos. You can figure out what the next part means. They're going to run. They're going to run a lot. They're going to run with Giovanni Williams. They're going to run with Samaje Pirine. They're going to pass out of the backfield to Williams and Pirine. They're going to go heavy set with two tight ends and a fullback in short yardage situations. It's back to the future for the Broncos, except the Broncos were never really had this at any point. It's not really who they've ever been, but it's who they need to be now. And it's their best chance to become relevant this season. Sean Payton is starting the Broncos turnaround. It is not anywhere near complete. 
the OTAs this year when Sean Payton and owner Greg Penner talked about being at base camp in Everest. Penner's climbed it. They talked about being at base camp at Everest. That's telling a lot. They understand. You're up the hill quite a bit at base camp, but the real climb's just starting, and that's where the Denver Broncos are. But getting bigger and stronger and controlling the line of scrimmage, forcing teams to load the box that can give Russell Wilson the ability to do what he does best, which is play action passing. The offense is the right one for this version of the Denver Broncos right now. The question is whether it's going to be able to come together quickly enough. There were signs in the last couple of days. We'll find out a little bit in the next coming days how it goes for the Denver Broncos as the season gets closer. In a week from today, we'll be talking about the Broncos playing the Arizona Cardinals in their opening preseason game that night. Looking forward to talking with you about it all week. Sandy Clough will be back on Monday. He'll have an opportunity to join us as well. Thanks so much for Neil Piero. I kind of just you know, roped him into the show for a little bit. Talk about some football and Justin Adams. I held him for an extra segment because we were having way too much fun. So thanks to both of them, Media by AP on Twitter for Anilo and Justin Adams TV from CBS News Colorado on Twitter for Justin. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes absolutely everything work, all of it. I literally, I literally, I have no buttons. I'm looking. I have a couple knobs, but I have no buttons. So, I mean, I can't do any of it. It's Danny Bailey doing every single bit of it. And, of course, it's you. You, whether you're listening over the air, whether you're listening uh, on FM, whether you're listening on the HD radio, whether you're listening at MyLifeSports.com, whether you're watching it on MyLifeSports.com, or whether you're doing all of those things, as crystal clear as the HD radio, everything on demand right in the MyLife Sports app. That's the one to get. Go ahead and grab that. And everything MyLife Sports is right in your pocket on demand at any time, including that great work by Cody Rourke for the Broncos as well. For the latest there, you can always check out his writing videos there too as well. So we'll be back at it tomorrow as the season comes along. Thanks for coming with us on our first week of drive time. Sandy will be back on Monday for Danny Bailey. I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on MyLife Sports and have a safe and wonderful weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. I saw the fire in your eyes.